Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. You're in for a treat. Theatre producer extraordinaire Judy Kramer is live in the studio celebrating the return of the theatre with a new run of shows for Mamma Mia! The Musical. Crime writer Mark Billingham fills us in on his spine-tingling new thriller Rabbit Hole. Tony Hadley talks about his 40-year music career and upcoming anniversary tour. And show chef Martha's been cooking up a storm with her weekly Waitrose recommendations. But before all that, here's Maria. Oh, yes, she's warming up. You join me live from Wimbledon, Graham. (laughs) There's there's a smell of deep heat. Um, You must be an emotional roller coaster with Andy and then England. It's so difficult for you. I know. Being a sports person, as you know, um, I follow it all really closely. Um, I'm amazed that you know anything about it, frankly. Did you watch the England-Germany game? No! But you can't help but know it. You don't. I don't want to know any of this stuff. But it just kind of. It's like I say. It's by osmosis. It just seeps into you. Uh, yeah. So it's. It. I can't help but know something about it, even though I don't want to. All I know is that. I, you know, for the good of the show, I want England to win tonight because it'll be so depressing tomorrow if they haven't. Well, a little bit of stats for you here, Graham. I think Ukraine have only ever beaten England, as we say it, England, um, once before. Um, and so England are the favourites, but, you know, they mustn't rest on their laurels. It, that's the problem. But I don't think Gareth Southgate allows that to happen. They don't go up with the highs. They don't go down with the lows. They're very constant. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is that. But he may play some strikers up front from the beginning this time because last... The German game was a very defensive game, Graham. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you know, he put his defence on because obviously they were very worried and then he brought the strikers on later. Jack not Grealish, as wor- people not, like that. Not as, not as worried as Gabby Logan is right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gabby Logan, look behind you, lady. <laughs> um, and who's going to win Wimbledon now that uh, Andy's uh, at home with Judy? Oh, home with Judy. No, he's at home with his wife. Judy is his mum. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, but in times of crisis, you go to your you mother. You do, that's right. Well, well... <laughs> Well, got out of. Um, I think it's going to be Djokovic, of course, because he is, you know, the the perfect machine, the perfect tennis machine. I mean, yesterday with Andy Murray was so hard because he was playing up against a 22-year-old, or 21 even, who was ranked number 10, and Andy is 34 with a metal hip. You know, <laughs> you don't really... When you put it like that. Yeah, you don't... It's kind of like, you know, somebody said, oh, it's, it's a time for us all because you see somebody decline. I mean, yes, it's early because obviously Federer is 39 or 40 and still going strong, but he hasn't had quite the injuries that Andy has. But well done, Andy Murray. You know, he's a fighter. Yeah, clanking across the court. <laughs> Collecting metal forks along the way. <laughs> No, it's not that bad. Graham, I've been eating this morning. I'm happy because I have food in my tummy. I thought, is that eggs? Yes, I've been eating the shakshuka. Shakshuka. Shakshuka, yes. Yes. It's one of those things, you see it on menus, you're going to think, "Mm, I'm not sure, I don't know how to say it, so I'm not going to order it. (laughs) And it remains uneaten. No, it's lovely. It's eggs and um, tomato sauce and lots of spicy things in um, cumin, coriander and chilli. And lovely flatbreads, which is... Oh, I've got Gabby Logan, now Martha Collision on the hors d'oeuvres. Back off, lady. Okay, sorry, I'm just covering everyone's territory. What have you done this week, please? What have you been exciting yourself with? Uh, Well, my big tip 
is there's oh, a yeah, documentary a tip, a tip yes there's a documentary if you're not watching the sport there's a documentary called Lady Boss and it's uh, Jackie Collins life story the late great Jackie Collins it sounds quite camp Graham is it? it it's so funny I mean it's tragic and sad and it'll make you cry but you know her daughters are in it and her brother and obviously Joan the sister and it's quirky it's got kind of personality I, it's going to be on BBC Two later in the year but I think it's having a little limited cinema release on, I watch, which, on which platform? Uh, well I well it, you can actually go to the cinema I think you can actually go to a, a physical cinema and see yeah, it but can um, you watch it on some sort of platform? I, I watched it on Curzon oh. the, the home the home app cinema. from Curzon thing okay. um, you were and, desperate to see that Graham no no I really was I really wanted to see it um, I, I, I loved it and it, it was, didn't disappoint it's no. all documented but is there any stuff of her, you know, uh, her dramas that she's had her books made into dramas? Yes, there were there were some clips, and I mean, it's a bit. I would say, I mean, I hope Joan likes it. I hope Joan likes it. She was but, there at the at the premiere. I oh, was she? Oh, good. There, yeah. Oh, good, 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 good. When I say I saw her there, I mean I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was lurking as a reporter. Now I'm doing showbiz reporting as well. Yes. Joan, what did you think of your lovely and very, very talented sister's movie? Uh, but no, it's a bit, it's a bit, I mean, it's not mean to Joan, but they do, it teases Joan uh, a bit. It does make you laugh. Yeah. So I, I hope, I hope she enjoyed it. Virgin Radio. Do you have a letter? I do. And I shall read it forthwith. Dear Graham and Maria, My best friend and I worked abroad together for two years. We were very close and since then have told each other everything. Despite living in different countries, we have remained very close and until Covid would see each other at least twice a year. We also talk every week without fail on FaceTime. This weekend, as we chatted, I was shocked to see how thin my friend has become. She had recently mentioned how annoyed she was that her work colleagues had been saying that she's too thin. Initially, I laughed along with her as she was stick thin before she had her two children and we shared the joke that none of her recent colleagues knew her pre-babies. I now feel stupid for not recognising that something is wrong and don't know how to help my friend who is living in another country and I'm not sure when we'll see each other next. I think there is a problem as she has had some fairly stressful family stuff recently and I don't know how to support her from afar. I'm feeling very worried and powerless. And that is from Natalia in Newcastle. Natalia in Newcastle, this is such a difficult one. Even if you are close by, even if your friend lives around the corner, this is just a difficult one to broach. But this is your best friend. You tell each other everything. You can share whatever. I think it's the way you put it. She is told you that she's annoyed with her work colleagues. You know, clearly she is of quite a thin disposition anyway because she was skinny before she had two children and really after two children you should be at least 20 stone. No, I'm just joking. Um, So I just think you can... There's one way round this which is to talk to her partner, her husband um, and say you're worried. You know, it sort of has to come from her. It's a bit like any addiction and anorexia eating disorders are addictive and our addictions or you could send her a letter because rather than speaking on the phone 
if you send her a letter, it somehow seems more formal and you can go back and read over things again. So that would be a difficult one to write. But you know, Or you could just next time you speak to her say, I know everybody's on at you at work and so on, but I am your best friend and I'm saying this because I love you very much and I am really worried about you. And, uh, you know, just tell me what's going on. I know it's been stressful of late, but just tell me because sharing it makes it somehow not such a deep, dark secret. But notoriously with eating disorders, people do not want with any kind of addiction. People do not want to. They go to great lengths to lie. So I would just try very hard. She won't fall out with your best friends. Just say how much I love you and I am genuinely very worried. Graham, what would be your advice? Well, I I think you've gone from zero to 60 here. We don't really know if anything's wrong. Um, You know, I would, if I was you, Natalia, I'd find pictures of her before she had uh, two kids and remind yourself of what she looked like. Because, you know, how much weight has she lost? Is it actually worrying? I mean, the fact that she's brought it up, uh, that, you know, people at work are, that's kind of, that could be a good sign that she kind of wants to, to let you know that she knows that she's lost weight. Well, they FaceTime each other, so she can clearly see. You you lose it from your face first. And if it's quite a shocking sight, then you know that something is wrong. If it's very thin face, then the rest of the body is going to be very thin. So, but I, If I was you, Natalia, I wouldn't... I wouldn't, because she's already said I'm annoyed by people at work uh, mentioning that I'm too thin. So I wouldn't focus on how she looks. But I think, you, you know, as Maria says, you are best friends. You can talk about anything. So just ask her how she is. You know that she's had family stress. Ask her about that. Ask her about how she's coping in after that. You know, all you can do is open a conversation. Um, and help her talk about... A supportive conversation. Yeah, as well, and help her talk about whatever she wants to talk about. But I think if you... Unless unless you know that she had an eating disorder previously, I think to just barge in there straight away with, uh, with you know, um, I'm going to help you through your eating disorder, I think might do more harm than good. I think certainly uh, there must be resources online where you can find out how to help people or how to talk to people who you suspect of having an eating disorder. But until she says something, it's really, really hard, I think, particularly because you're not there. But I think it's that thing when you are in the midst of an eating disorder, you don't know how to get out of it. You can't stop. And the the thinner you become, the kind of, you know, more appealing it is. And you get slightly addicted to that high of being hungry. I only know this from other chums who have told me about this. So it's a bit like, you know, somebody just needs to tell her to just, no, someone just needs to say, tell me everything is all right and I won't mind and I won't try and offer advice if you tell me it's not. I'm just wondering about her partner. She's got two children. Um, Maybe she's not with a partner, so that is even more difficult. Um, But it's very frustrating for you, Natalia, that she is so far away. But soon, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, you'll be able to hop on a flight, perhaps, and go and see for yourself. And just, I just think, keep 
talking to her. Don't, you know, don't jump to conclusions, but just keep talking to her. Keep saying, you know, are you okay? How are you coping? Da, 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 da. And hopefully, you know, she'll know that at least she's got you and she can talk to you and you're not going to judge her. You're, you know, you're just going to be there as a supportive friend. Um, I'm sure people have been in situations like this. Uh, my favourite responses today will feature, will receive four bottles of Waitrose Dutchie Organic Pale Ale. Mmm, delicious for toasting goals or drowning sorrows. It's an easy drinking beer, aren't they all? With a refreshing crispy taste, zesty hop aromas and a well-balanced bittersweet finish. Mmm, Waitrose Dutchie Organic Pale Ale. Four bottles uh, going to my favourite bits of advice today. Let's find out what you get, think Natalie should do, Natalia should do. Billy and Dundee says the only thing you can do is give them impartial advice and be there to support them in their hour of need. These work colleagues need to be told to wind their necks in and mind their own business. Yes, they certainly aren't helping. Uh, Penny in West Drayton. There are many reasons for weight loss, not just eating disorders. She should say to her friend that she doesn't look very well and ask whether she's been ill, see a doctor, etc. Uh, Karen Webb says, uh, Natalia's friend could be suffering from an overactive thyroid gland. Wow, I had this condition quite a few years ago. It was diagnosed, I was given medication and recovered. Losing weight is a major factor. I mean, I do think... I mean, I, yes, I felt like maybe we were jumping to conclusions. There could be other things going on here, particularly because she had been very, very thin as a human being before she had her children. So maybe she's just gone back to her pre-baby weight. We don't know. Uh, Rob from Cheshire. I think Natalia should jump on a flight and go and see her friend. When she sees her face to face, she will get a better idea of how much weight she's actually lost. Going to see her will be a demonstration of how much she cares for her. That's a lovely advice, if she can. I mean, the trouble with quarantine and everything, she may not have time off from work. She may have booked other holidays. You just, I mean, life is complicated. In an ideal world, Rob, you're absolutely right, but who knows? And Anne from York says, open up that conversation. Is there anything I can do? Is the worry affecting you badly? Has it affected your appetite and are you not eating properly? This steers into the issue in a non critical way. Uh, I like your advice, Anne. You are going to get the four bottles of Dutchie Original uh, Organic Pale Ale. They're going to Anne in York. Could you give me ten minutes, Graham? I'm eating my Waitrose Shakshuka. (laughs) 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 Because it is so delicious. No, I've got a second problem. Here it is. Dear Graham and Maria, my best friend has just broken up with her boyfriend and it's not the first time they've broken up. They argue constantly about really insignificant things and her friendship group have seen it coming for a while. Normally she's pretty frustrated about the constant bickering and mentions that maybe they just don't work together. But now they've broken up again, she really wants him back and thinks that they can make it work. Is it bad that the more it's happened as her friends, we've all lost a bit of interest? <laughs> no at all. We really want to look out for her and it's not that we don't like the boyfriend but we do have a place to say, but do we have a place to say enough is enough. She's not really asked for advice but talks about it a lot and it's a bit of a broken record by now and that is from Adam in Bournemouth. Adam in Bournemouth, we have all had those friends. You are not alone. I mean has anybody actually said to her how many times has this got to happen before you realise that nothing is going to change because they've got into that habit of this is how our relationship works. We bicker, we bicker, we bicker, we get on each other's nerves, 
we fight, we break up, we get back together again. I mean, it's tedious in the extreme for those going through it, let alone anyone who has to listen to this broken record. Uh, I would say when you next see her, when all your friendship group is next with you, you have to sort of almost ban her from talking about him or the relationship. Uh, but in a nice way, obviously, you can make her... Uh, like a swear jar, she has to buy the next round if she mentions him uh, or if she brings it up in any way so that, you know, she knows that you've had enough of it. And also, the more she's going back to this person, the, both of them are wasting their time. Things are not going to change. They're not going to get back together and it suddenly becomes the most beautiful romantic thing where they agree and smile benignly at each other's Every, every utterance. So I would say you've got to do some tough loving here, Adam, in Bournemouth, and um, make her shut up and move on out. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I, well, it's just that thing, isn't it? You know, we've all been in the situation where you, you know that it's hopeless, you know, and yet somehow you end up back there against your better judgment and it just goes on. It won't end until... It's not over till it's over, if you know what I mean. Like they, they, it won't end until they both accept that actually this cannot work. Or the that one could... of them meets somebody else. That's yeah. what's needed. Take her out. Get her off with somebody else. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, when you haven't got anybody, you go, oh, now I'm a bit lonely. Yeah, we bicker, but anything is better than nothing. And that's really annoying. But also, Adam, don't say anything bad about the boyfriend. Oh, no. they will get back together. Yeah, that is guaranteed. The minute you kind of go, oh, I'm so glad you dumped him. He was horrible. Bum, bum. They're back together. Uh, don't. That is a r- absolute rule for living. Don't ever badmouth someone's ex until at least a few years after they've, they've uh, left them. I just think you know you need to say to you need to say to your friend. You know, one the, the only conversation to have is what do you think is going to be different this time. And then go, uh-huh, and then stop it. Because, you know, she obviously wants to talk about it, but there's nothing to say. Because you all know, and I think she knows too, that this isn't going anywhere. That it's just it's just going to be a kind of, a, you know, a repeating pattern until they get bored or, as you say, one of them meets somebody else. Mm. It's, yeah. but It uh, is a habit. You know, you know that that person is not right for you, you, that you just don't click, that something about both of you annoys, and yet it's a habit and until, there's somebody else on the horizon. I mean, get her to do some a bit of online dating because she's broken up with him at the moment, and that might take her out of it. Stop her, you know. She she you can't go and meet somebody on a date and just go. Let me just tell you about my ex boyfriend. And four hours she, later, she will. She, she will. Well, then she won't get another date. No, with that exactly. Person. But and then she will learn. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't get too involved. I wouldn't get her on dating apps or everything because suddenly you're part of this drama. I, you know, don't get involved in the drama. Don't don't be part of a fight or I can't believe you did that you betrayed our friendship blah 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 just let her vent and just sort of zone out you know take her to a bar where there's a television in the corner you can watch that there's only um, so much zoning you can do <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yes eventually this will end and you'll all you'll all laugh about it because it will finally peter out or get, but there's nothing I don't think there's anything you can do uh, just don't engage with her when she brings him up don't you know, don't encourage her to talk about him I mean I doubt they are but but don't do that <laughs> yeah. eventually how are things with your boyfriend yawn <laughs> <laughs> do tell I've got yeah. four hours to kill 
oh, that's enough, that's enough time for them to get back together again. <laughs> I mean, I do like the fact of she should really be going out. Now, you should double date with somebody who's also single. Have a laugh, have some fun. But I do remember going out on a, a one of those dates that you meet from somewhere and the man uh, who's arrived perfectly fine and then drank loads and loads of red wine and then started crying about his ex-wife. And mm-hmm. then I paid the bill. Wow. And you're still with him, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We know we're really happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's it really... was a perfect way to start a relationship. <laughs> that's such an encouraging story. <laughs> what should they do? Uh, Billy and Dundee. Oh, he's back, ladies and gentlemen. Billy and Dundee. Double advice from Billy. Uh, this is a yo-yo relationship and tiring for all other people around. All you can do is let them know that you will help and support them equally, but together they are a mess and it is tedious for everyone else. Neil in Glasgow. Each time you meet your friend, allow her 10 minutes to rant about him, then simply say you don't care. Okay. Or tell her to go home and binge watch Sex in the City. There's an answer in there somewhere. You're right, Neil. There probably is. Uh, James in Enfield. Don't waste your breath advising your friend with hours of advice about her ex-boyfriend. She will do exactly what she wants to do. Just nod and smile sweetly as she bangs on about it. Not worth it. I mean, that is, I mean, that's not really advice, James, but it's an accurate summation of what's going on. And finally, it's the return of, we were worried about you, Bunty and Cheadle. Bunty and Cheadle returns to the airwaves. Uh, to start with, I was with Maria. Get her off with somebody else. On reflection, though, you can't clap with one hand and you can't fight when there's no one to fight with. So she's choosing this dysfunction and will likely be just the same with her next victim. Oops, sorry, I mean boyfriend. So make sure it's nobody you know. Do you know what? I'm not sure I agree with you, Bunty, but because I'm so happy you're back, uh, we're sending the four bottles of organic pale ale to you. The Graham Norton Radio Show. With Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hello, Judy Kramer. Hello, you gorgeous man. I'm so excited to be here and see you and I was so happy. I was so happy when they said you were coming on the show. Um, Now, before we get to good news, because there is lots of good news, let's travel back in time. March 2020. How many... Um, uh, productions of Mamma Mia were going on. Was it just the West End you were keeping an eye on or were there other ones around the world? No, we had other ones around the world. I mean, the West End at the Novello Theatre and then we had the UK tour that was up north at the time and uh, Japan, South Korea, um, Denmark. I mean, so it was a kind of big global juggle of everything yeah. stopping and grinding to a halt. And, and fun- presumably it happened in different... Because our government was quite slow at closing theatres and they're quite slow at opening them. But, but So did you have to pull the plug before the end or what? Or how did that work? No, it was pretty tense. I mean, because everyone was keeping an eye on what was happening in the rest of the world, I mean, the cast, everyone in the theatre was permanently asking what's happening and we just didn't know because you can't just stop it you have to wait for the government to say and so it just suddenly came one night and the plug was pulled I think audience was on their way in to see the show that night and the cast were in doing their warm-up and and that was it and the same with the shows around the world and and the tour and everything stopped and we all thought oh well we'll be back in a few weeks and here we are we will be back nearly 20 months later wow but the good news is you are back you have a date for reopening in the west end we do. We will be reopening Mamma Mia at the Novello Theatre on August the 25th, and I can't wait. Um, everyone's getting ready. Rehearsals will be starting soon. We have a gorgeous cast. We have the wonderful Maz Murray, who was playing the lead Donna Sheridan when we closed down, um, shut down, locked down, whatever we did. <laughs> and she will be back 
um, with uh, many of the cast from before. We have some a couple of lovely new dynamos and we have a lovely new Sophie and uh, just can't wait. And I, mean, then, I mean, all of you must be so anxious to get back. And also, I think there's something about the familiarity of Mamma Mia and those songs that it will just be like a great big warm hug of everything's everything's all right. I think it will be big. I mean, it's the show reunites so many people and connects so many people and it is just what, what people need. I mean, besides the fact we all want to be transported to a Greek island immediately, um, you can with Mamma Mia. And even if you've seen it before, it's just something that you love and I think I think that's a comfort factor that people want to to go back to theatre they want to feel confident they want to feel safe but they want to see something that they love too yeah I mean, I, I was struck by that this year with Eurovision where people were rediscovering a family tradition where they were watching it together and you know Mamma Mia's and Abba you know Abba's been going forever but 23 years of Mamma Mia you imagine there will be people who've seen it before but they'll go together as a family they'll go together with their friends it, it conjures up memories and times for everybody it's a real outing I mean there is a kind of you know a, a, a club a kind of people go and I, I hear audience members turn to each other and say how many times have you been <laughs> and it's like a kind of you know a secret a secret gold card membership but I, I mean also the movies have done so much for bringing in audiences and, and younger audiences uh, and especially during the lockdown as the movies have been played a lot yeah. and uh, people have been having their own Mamma Mia parties so to actually see the show will be it'll be a great celebration I mean it'll be a great celebration now I mean shows are beginning to open although socially distanced but hopefully everything will be fully open and um, the West End can really celebrate and tell me this, uh, Judy Kramer, because you are so busy, you have all these productions, you're, you're one of those people, you always seem to be, you know, fingers lots by, doing, doing, doing. Have you, has this given you the opportunity to sit on a sofa and stare at a wall for several months? Oh, yes. I like staring at walls, actually. I've been, I mean, I'm quite good at, at, at being on my own and staring at walls. <laughs> this was um, ideal for you then. <laughs> I have, you know, I've never stopped working actually because it's been really busy. It was really busy with the shows having to stop to what was going to be happening in the future to, you know, keeping many of my start, you know, we were planning for the future. I mean, Japan continued on during part of their lockdown and socially distant show. We've had Oslo, Oslo's preparing to open in August so it it never really stopped um, and also a lot of people that we wanted to take care of and make sure were okay so um, I did stare at walls though and I, I took up the peloton I've become obsessed by uh, <laughs> the peloton it's become a best friend um, do, the, do the instructors not annoy you? No, I, I mean, I, I like, I'm kind of quite, I only have certain ones because I get, if I don't like one, I get a bit disappointed. It's like going for dinner. It's, it's like dating on Peloton, really. It's like, oh, and I'm in love with a woman called Leanne Hainsbury, who is British. She's from Essex and she's an ex-dancer and she does a fantastic class. And if I get bored with her, I move on to Kendall Tool and their music they play is amazing. So that's been, kept me um, occupied. 
and my horses, which... Of um, course, yes, the horses. Yeah, the horses, which, of course, were very confused by lockdown because that meant they didn't have any shows, which is like parties to them. So I would visit them when I was allowed to. and, and But otherwise, no, I was working, never stopped working, working from home. All my staff that have young children, I had young children screaming, I'm more important than Judy down the phone. <laughs> um, and that was a bit stressful for them, a bit stressful for me. A publisher will hit us with a stick if we don't mention the big open-air version of Mamma Mia, which is also happening in August. Yeah, very excited about this. We're going to be opening up north at uh, Harewood House, which is a beautiful stately home in Yorkshire. And it's going to be the first big musical that's ever performed outdoors, really. Um, it's literally under the stars, as we say. And it was the beginning of lockdown last year when the tour had to stop. And I was talking to Nick Grace, who uh, produces the tour with us, and... We're like, well, maybe we can do an outdoor show. You know, maybe, you know, you don't have to worry about social distancing. People can have fun. And as a kid, I always loved going to, like, Sonne Lumiere's or, you know, open, seeing open-air theatre and stuff because I think it's just so much fun when the sun is setting and you're watching a show and the lights are changing and it's, it's magical. So there we are. We open... Um, well, the first public performance is August the 13th and uh, uh, press night is August 16th and then we're there till the end of August. So I feel everyone like the, come. Yes, I feel like the biggest acting challenge will be Leeds in August being a Greek island. But uh, good luck, everybody. Just don't be negative, <laughs> I think we'll be having an Indian summer in August. Well, you know, British It'll weather. It'll be lovely. It'll I've be lovely. got my Wellingtons ready. <laughs> I mean, and listen, when you can't, I mean, you you know, just go to see Mamma Mia, you actually can buy with your ticket, separately to your ticket, a picnic basket, a Mamma Mia picnic rug. You can have beautiful organic picnic, you know, Yorkshire Dales ice cream, Harrogate oh. toffee. I don't know, it's all there. And there's matinees and... I'm sure there'll be Mamma Mia ponchos if there's a little bit of drizzle. <laughs> yes, a little bit of Mamma Mia umbrella. And we have a wonderful cast, I have to say, because Sarah Posner, who was Donna in the West End, is going to be leading the gang out there, um, which is very exciting. Now, also very exciting, must mention this, we played Cher there. Uh, you are working with Cher again. It had to happen, didn't it, really? <gasps> I'm um, so excited by this. Tell us, Tell us what you can. Tell us I what you can. Her. Um, and I referred to Shabba because that's what Cher would call when she was recording ABBA songs because, you know, she went and did her own album of yeah. ABBA, so she'd go, let's call it Shabba. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I just think, you know, she, she has an incredible story. I think it deserves to be an incredible film. I mean, she is, um, you know, there's just something there, you know, a big story, a big life, um, interesting decades a lot of dazzle razzle and dazzle and of course we have a great writer writing this eric roth who is a legend himself so it's like hashtag two legends because he wrote star is born and um, benjamin button and forrest gump of course yeah and she's thrilled by this and tells me she's telling him lots of things that she wouldn't tell anyone else and i'm like well that's not very helpful we're doing a film here share but um <laughs> 
no, it's exciting. And what's the timeline of all of this? Well, it's 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 happening. You know, it, it won't be shooting yet, and we haven't got to who's playing her. But it's it's definitely, as they say in Hollywood, in the works, and will be with Universal Pictures. Oh, so. Can't not wait for that. Um, Dan in Perth is asking, will there be a Mamma Mia movie three? Because I mean, you know, where there's a successful sequel, presumably there's a, a successful prequel. Well, I hope so. I mean, when I was gazing at the wall during lockdown uh, or on the Peloton, I was thinking of this, and it is definitely another one in the works. I mean, these things take longer, and, of course, during COVID, everything seems to take even longer um, to move things forward. But there's, as I have mentioned before, there is definitely a trilogy there, and I know there's a lot of um, cast members that would be very excited to come back. Um, But it's not a film that you could shoot during lockdown because no. there's an awful lot of <laughs> hugging and kissing that goes on. <laughs> um, very quickly, very quickly, uh, we must leave you, but uh, Laura in Liverpool, in the interest of balance, wants to know, what's your favourite West End show that's not your own? Oh, my God, there's... Um... <laughs> so, there's so many. I mean, going over the, going through the years, um, well, uh, you know, I love... Just ha- one, I, just love one. Ha- I love Hamilton. Hamilton, let's go with Hamilton, and uh, it'll be opening soon as well. The 25th of August, that's when you can go back to see Mamma Mia at the Novello Theatre, and the Harewood House production It runs from the 13th to the 30th of August. Judy Kramer, welcome back to the world. Lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. Take care. And you, love you. Coming up, Tony Hadley gives us the updates on his big 40th anniversary tour. But before that, another thriller to add to your bookshelves with Mark Billingham and his new crime novel, Rabbit Hole. Hello, Mark. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Here I'm grand, grand. All the better for this book. It's such a good idea. It's one of those books where you kind of think, did no one think of this before? This is such a good idea. It's a brilliant idea. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Well, it's set, as you say, it's a standalone uh, thriller, so it doesn't feature my regular detective, although he does make a little cameo appearance, I should say. Um, it's set almost entirely on an acute psychiatric ward um, in London, and I'd spent some time, uh, but two people very close to me had spent some time uh, on a ward similar to this, so I'd, I'd been in to visit and stuff and even though you know there can be quite disturbing and traumatic places the 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 twisted crime writer in me almost immediately went this would be a fantastic setting for what is essentially a locked room mystery a locked ward mystery so somebody is somebody is murdered a patient is murdered uh, on the ward and detective sergeant alice armitage immediately starts to investigate the only problem being she's also a patient um, so that's that's essentially the setup for Rabbit Hole. And it is that brilliant thing that uh, they're so hard to do, but when you when you crack it like you have in this book, um, to have an unreliable narrator. Yes. And and, you, <laughs> and and she's saying, look, I don't remember everything. You know, I, I, it's brilliant. Really. really oh good. yeah, she's very upfront about it. You know, the whole book is in her voice, and she says right right off the bat, you know, uh, with with everything that's happened to me and the drug, the medication I'm on. You know, so yeah, I, don't always believe me. <laughs> I'm not hiding anything. <laughs> and I read a thing uh, that you said, and I don't know whether you you came to this afterwards or whether it was true, but that idea of, you know, because I, obviously we knew each other when we were doing the stand-up sort yeah. of thing, and you were talking about writing a book is like crafting uh, a good joke or an act. 
Yes. And, and, and this book so does that. It follows that brilliantly. Well, it has. I, it, it didn't strike me for a while, you know, after I moved from stand-up to, to writing crime fiction. It didn't strike me for a while, but eventually I realised that you do structure a crime novel in exactly the way as you structure uh, a stand-up routine or a joke. You know, you have to... The punchline comes from an unexpected place. It's, it's a reveal. It's about timing. Crime novels are full of punchlines. They're just very, very dark. <laughs> And because this, this one, I mean, it has a great opening, a big, strong opening. And then I mean, we can't spoil it, but it, it's uh, when you get to the end and you think it's a you think, oh, that's the end. And then, no, yes, <laughs> that's no. not well, the end. Well, it's that, again, it's that it's that stand up thing, isn't there? You know, one one joke, two jokes, three jokes. I'm going to I'm going to get one more laugh out of this. <laughs> so, yeah, there is a very a, a final twist in the tale. Yeah, it's and how in terms of making the, the centre character uh, a woman, were you always going to? do that or did you you know because because i think you know lots of male writers have female protagonists but yeah. to be in the first person narrator uh, that's a, a decision yes i mean you know there's there's no question it's easier for me if i'm if i'm writing about a sort of a bloke in his in his mid 50s you know i can that, that's that's <laughs> much much more straightforward yeah i don't know why that should be um but uh, you know it's it's much more interesting for me to get inside the head of a you know a 12 year old boy or a 65 year old woman or whatever it might be that's the job isn't it of a, of a writer to just use your imagination in that way and put yourself in, you know, inside other characters. So yeah, it was all Alice. Alice was always going to be the central character, and I absolutely adored uh, being inside her head. And uh, oddly, the voice I heard as I was writing the book, she's from the north, and the voice I heard was was the actress Maxine Peake. I could I heard her voice in my head as I was writing it, and absolutely thrilled that she narrates the audio book and oh, does the fantastic. most incredible job. It was just like, oh god, this is exactly what I imagined when I started writing it, you know. Wow, well, I might dip into that. Oh, she's that, yes. fab, it's fab. Yeah. And because you've had all the, you know, such success with uh, Tom Thorne, uh, when you decide to do a standalone book, what what is it? Because obviously Tom Thorne, you know, as you say, he makes a cameo, he could have been more involved in this story. Yeah, well, I mean, I think those of us that write long-running series and it uh, applies to so many writers, you live in fear of writing one book too many or two books too many, you know. Uh, and the way to keep your series fresh is to step away from it every so often and do something different. So every couple of years I take a break from Tom and I write a standalone and then you go back to your series fired up and, you know, the next Tom Thorne book is, is done and delivered and will be out next year. Um, and, you know, it's it, you have to do that. You have to do something else. You can't just, just write about the same character all the time. Every time I do do it, though, I think, why have I done it? I get 50 pages in and go, why am I doing it? It would have been so much easier to... But then you realise that, you know, it's called a comfort zone for a reason and you have to step out of it and, and do something different every so often. Yeah. But, and you were saying, and I heard you doing it in an interview, and you were saying how... Uh, that how he's changed that character has changed yeah. over the 20 years and is is a is a different person he's been altered by what's happened to him oh you've got i mean the character can't be the same at the end of one book as he is at the start of a book because you know we're putting these those of us that write crime novel novels we put these characters through death and pain and grief and loss and violence you can't just pretend it hasn't happened <laughs> so you know after 20 years and 20 books oh he's, he's he's absolutely a different character you know which of us wouldn't be so mark looking at the dates of you as a writer and as a performer and an actor there didn't seem to be any uh, crossover did you 
had you not performing and acting on the head before you uh, opened the laptop? No, I was I was still working as a stand-up when I when I wrote the first book and and carried on doing it for a few years. Um, so you know, uh, telling cheap jokes of an evening and uh, writing all these dark dark stories during the day until it be, until the two things became incompatible because, as you know, a lot of travelling involved yeah. in the stand-up. You know, belting up and down the motorways and stuff. And it came to a point when the book started doing well and I had to travel to support them and. I I couldn't do both, and I had a young family, and blah, blah, blah. so yeah, stopped stopped doing the uh, the jokes and started concentrating on the the murder. And do you miss it at all, or do you just do kind of book events give you the same kind of you know you can work a crowd? And, yeah, yeah. I, I get I get my kind of stand up jollies uh, at book festivals because most people don't expect an author, especially an author of sort of dark tales, to stand up and, t- <laughs> and start telling cheap jokes. But I like to do I like to do that. So yeah, I, I get all that. And you know I do miss that that twenty minute hit of on stage. I don't miss sitting in you know grotty dressing rooms at two o'clock in the morning or anything, or you know being on trains and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I so I, I I still do a lot of showing off. Yeah, it's, it's a young man's game. I feel. The... Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, although writing a book is a performance, I've always I've always thought that a very different sort of performance from walking on stage at the comedy store or somewhere. But you're still essentially trying to entertain an audience from the from the first page to the last. And you got and you do. And in terms of because I know you'd done some script writing before the books. Did you think because of your acting background and t- stand up, did you think that was going to be an easier way into writing? Um, no. Well, I mean, they're they're very they're so different. I mean, and, and the weirdest thing is when you write for telly, uh, you know, it's a very collaborative business, and you're dealing with notes from all sorts of people, and there's producers <laughs> and all all that stuff. And so I remember I remember sitting down with my editor when I'd written the first book, and we were debating some line of dialogue or something, and she said, "Oh, it's up to you, Mark. It's your book." And I nearly fell off my chair because <laughs> nobody has ever said in the history of film or television, <laughs> "It's up to you. It's your script." You know, that's the line you never hear. So yeah, it's it's quite hard to go back to to that kind of writing when you're you're in control of everything. Yes. <laughs> and, and, uh, so if when they do do TV adaptations of your books, they've done how many did they've done two so far? Three. Uh, yeah, there was there was a, a series on Sky and a, and a series on the BBC. Yeah, yeah. And so, are you very, very involved? Um, a bit involved. I mean, there's there's two schools of thought on this. One says, yeah, you, you need to be involved in, at every stage. But the other school of thought says, if you just step away from it, if it turns out to be rubbish, you just go, nothing to do with me, Gov. And if it wins a hatful of BAFTAs, you go, that's my book, you know. So you sort of, <laughs> it's a win-win situation to just slightly step away. You know, somebody once said, you know, they, they throw a bag of money over the wall, you throw your book over the wall, and you both go in opposite directions. Um, but it's a thrill. It's always been a thrill to see I'm you know why isn't it I, I I'm as influenced by you know the crime shows and stuff I watched on telly as anything I've ever read so to see your character on screen is always so exciting you know has anyone bought rabbit hole yet uh, bought it uh, uh, it's with it is with a TV okay. production company shall because we say it would make such a, I, I was uh, thinking more of a film it would make an amazing film a yeah film. I mean a, a tough one a tough one to write you know because of yeah. the, the reveals and the twists and whatever oh, adapting a crime novel is always even talking about it as we are now is quite hard because of no, all no, the you can't say anything. stuff yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah you can't say there's very little you can say but whoever got to play Alice I mean Oscar nomination surely <laughs> would be in her future uh, so Sophie and Harrow is just wondering, uh, when you're getting ideas for your crime stories, do you ever get them from real life? 
life? Do you ever do the kind of ripped from the headlines? Uh, not exactly. If well, it quite often ripped from a paper, but or something, but never a big story, never a big page one story. Because firstly, you know, a dozen other crime writers will be having the same idea at the same time. It's a little story, something you see tucked away on page seven that makes you go, "Hey, what?" You know, anything that makes you ask questions. But because if people know what you do for a living, they want to tell you this stuff. You know, you get you get in the back of a cab and somebody goes, "What do you do?" And you go, oh, "I write crime novels." And they immediately go, oh, "Did you hear what happened to old Mrs. Johnson up at number forty-seven?" And they tell you some <laughs> terrible, terrible tale. And the human being in you is going, "That's awful." But the crime writer in you is going, "I'm having that. I'm <laughs> so having that." Filing that yes, away. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and uh, I, li- I like that you won a celebrity mastermind for Elvis Costello. Is I mean, music's obviously a huge thing to you. Well. I- it's funny you should say Elvis Costello. I just turned sixty, Graham, uh, a couple of days ago, and stop it. I stop. I know I did. And the first thing that happened was some friends of mine said we've we've organised a little surprise for you. Uh, I, you know, got this phone call, and then I I hit this link, and it was Elvis Costello singing Happy Birthday to me. He he sent me a message and sang Happy Birthday to me, and I was just like a child. I was. I mean, he's been my sort of musical idol, you know, for an awfully long time, um, and I got to meet him interviewing when his book came out so you know his manager asked him if he would send me this birthday message and he did and it's just the best thing ever i just can't stop showing people on my phone yeah music music amazing i know i know so so generous of him to do it so that was a massive thrill yeah i did it i did him on celebrity mastermind (laughs) (laughs) yeah he owed you he He did owe me he owed me big time (laughs) Uh, mark billingham congratulations on rabbit hole i'm sure it's gonna sell like hotcakes uh it's such a great great Uh, story. And Thanks so much. Such a Graham. great idea. Uh, thanks so much for coming in to see us. Uh, Mark Billingham, everybody. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Tony, the voice, Hadley. Hello, Tony. Hello, Graham. How are you, mate? You're all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm glad you played that because we've been rehearsing for the last three days. <laughs> and that was one of the songs that was uh, in the set. We, yeah, we. Do you know what? We haven't, me and my band, the Fabulous TH band, we haven't seen each other. We, we Zoom every week, uh, so we've been kept, kept in contact with uh, the band and crew and everything. But the first time we've seen each other in over a year was in the rehearsal studios on Thursday, as we rehearsed Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it was like, well, look, how do all these songs go? And as soon as we started to play them, we just knew them. It was like it was just like riding a bike. So I've had a very exciting three days. So you might tell that I'm quite excited. Hopefully. Yeah. No, that's a lo- but what a lovely feeling to kind of like putting on old shoes. Just a gorgeous feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was remarkable, actually, because you do worry after such a long time after not playing. I mean, luckily, I've been keeping my voice oiled up. You'll, you'll see me singing in the car and making faces and all that sort of stuff uh, and singing at home. But just being in the in the room with your mates who, who you love, uh, fabulous musicians, and singing, you know, all the classic songs, True Gold, Through the Barricades, Only When You Leave. So rehearsing not only for the um, uh, the festivals this summer and also the 40th anniversary tour, which is actually the 42nd anniversary tour uh, for next March and May in 2022. So good, good feeling, really good feeling. Because the so you forty uh, second anniversary, but is forty second anniversary of what? Because the band actually started in what seventy six or something. Well, yeah. Well, we started at school in nineteen seventy six in the school music room at Dame Alice Owens, and um, but before we actually became Spanner Ballet, we're kind of going from the date that we signed the record deal, which was oh, the tenth okay. of October, 
1980. Uh, so since that point, professionally, I've been in the music business for 40 years. Uh, 2020 was meant to be the anniversary tour, but obviously because of COVID, it's 2022. Uh, but if you were really going to stretch it, you could say it was the 46th anniversary tour. Yeah. But <laughs> so, isn't it amazing to think like that, that thing, that thing you started doing when you were kids yeah. is still the thing. I mean, how lucky you were to kind of stumble into... Because I was thinking about this. You know, back then, a lot of the bands, some of the vocalists were quite, you know, quite thin voices. (laughs) But you, you stood out. You had this amazing, rich, you have this gorgeous, rich, distinctive voice. Did you know you had that voice or was it just a lucky accident that you stumbled upon when you Um, you started performing? Well, I was singing in in choirs at school and, and, and things like that when I was in primary school, Clerkenwell, Dame Alice Owens sang at the Guildhall. So I knew I had a voice, but my first solo experience was singing at, we used to go to Pontian's Holiday Camp, uh, mum and dad and brother and sister. And that's when I first started to sing. And even though I forgot the words halfway through the song, I was only about 14, 15, people said to me, yeah, son, you, you know, you, you can sing, you're okay. And that then got, gave me the confidence to carry on from there. We formed the band when we were 16. We were called The Roots and we did R&B covers. Um, But, I mean, a massive influence on me was people like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Jack Jones, Mario Lanza. And when I first started, I had this kind of almost semi-operatic voice, which is a bit disconcerting to some, I think. But, uh, (laughs) you know, to cut a long story, you know. Um, It's kind of loosened up a bit since then. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that, that I've kept my voice in trim, and and it, I've, I feel I'm singing probably better than ever. Actually, I feel really good. And uh, working on the new album, rehearsing new songs for the new album, they're sounding great. So yeah, I'm in a really happy place. But you know, you know what it's like. Every now and again, you sort of pinch yourself and think, I've been doing this for a long time now, and I'm still loving it, and I'm still they're still employing me. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm just grateful for that. And also, isn't it, anyway, sorry, sorry, to, sorry to, just to say, I think one of the things about this break we've all had is a, a, a kind of renewed appreciation that we get to do things we like doing. You know, there, there probably was a time a few years ago when you looked at your 40th anniversary tour thinking, yeah. oh my God, every night, here we go. But now you must be like a greyhound in the slips, looking forward to it. I honestly cannot, cannot wait. The first show, we, we've had so many shows cancelled. I mean, to, just to say, it's been so difficult, as you know, for people in the music business, the theatre, yeah. the arts world, uh, all the technicians that make it, make it possible for us to go on stage. It's been super tough. Um, so our first show uh, is now, I think, the 18th National Arbore- uh, Nottingham Arboretum, and we're doing an acoustic show. I would like to have done the first show, a full electric show, but it's going to be acoustic. Um, and that's the start of the of the summer period, and then of course next year the 40th anniversary tour. But yeah, I mean you do you do appreciate. I mean people say to me, you know, do you ever get bored of singing True and Gold and Through the Barricades only when you leave? And I actually no, I don't because every gig you do, it's a different audience, and every audience it's a different reaction, and you see people hugging each other when you start True and giving each other a little kiss, and Aww. that was their song. That I know, I know, I'm getting all slushy now. <laughs> 
No, but that's so lovely. I mean, what a gift yeah. that that is for you to give them. It's just lovely. That's gorgeous. And you talk about your voice. You know, obviously, when you were a kid, you don't need to work at these things. But, uh, you know, you, this tour, I'm looking at the dates. It's like they're not messing around. <laughs> You're doing it like nearly every <laughs> night. There's no there's no rest there. So how do you how do you go about getting match fit? And how do you, you know, do you wake up every morning a bit worried thinking, oh, is it there? Um, they, they once they said Pav- Pavarotti, what do you do? What do you do for Maestro? What do you do for your voice? And he said sleep. Uh, and I think for most singers, that's that's as long as I'm getting a kind of eight nine hours sleep, we, we'll have a tour bus most of the time. So it'll be a sleeper bus, and uh, we have a bit of a party after the show, and then we get into our little bunk beds and uh, we will sleep for about nine or ten hours. And as long as I'm getting the sleep, uh, then 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 I'm okay. I, I can pretty much do night after night. So I'm very 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 lucky actually, really I'm- lucky. And with your voice, obviously, if you're writing music, it's different. But if you're if you if you're listening to music, do you immediately know? Oh, that song will be perfect for me. I can absolutely that that's that's in my groove. Yeah, I mean, there's certain songs that um, I mean, I've done a lot of covers over the years, and um, I mean, you know, I'm a big Elvis fan. I've done Elvis songs, Queen songs, uh, David Bowie songs. So, so you listen to certain songs that you listen to, and you say, yeah, I, I can do that. I can, I can do it justice, and and I, hopefully the audience think the same thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I sort of first a singer, and second, secondly, a songwriter. Um, and, and I love, I just love music. I love all types of music, whether it be classical, operatic, from Frank to Queen to Panic at the Disco, A Well Nation. So my musical tastes are pretty varied, yeah, I have to say. And tell me this, somebody's been in touch, who was it, Eve? Uh, Eve in Lancaster is asking, uh, when you do the tour, are there particular uh, places or venues that you kind of look forward to more than others? I think at the moment, all of them, just, just to get, I think my wife will be really pleased. He's going on tour. Love you, darling. Bye. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. They wanted to see more of you. Not this much more. Not this much more. Uh, to be honest, it's it's going to be, it's going to be amazing because what's going to be great about it is I, I've not done a tour like this where I've been to all parts of the UK for many, many, many years. Uh, we normally just do festivals around the world, but this is, it, we're going to go to all places down in Cornwall, Scotland, Ireland, er, everywhere. We, we're literally taking the sort of whole of the UK. So it's, 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 yeah, it's going to be great fun. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. You're going to be signing some really old pictures when you get to places you haven't been in years. You're like, I, look, this is me with you in 19 whatever, yeah. 1942, darling. Yeah, you know, sort of. But it, you know what? It is really weird when you sort of get people, they come up to you and say, say oh, you know, um, um, you don't look quite like that. Hold it, darling. That was 1983. I was 23. I'm now 61. I think yeah. I've probably changed a bit. And if um, I had, there's something genetically wrong with me, you know. So. Yeah, and let's look at a picture of you. <laughs> see, see, how, <laughs> see how have you fared over the years. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, you know, so I, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one, you know. Oh, you're not wearing the frilly shirt. Here. No, I'm not worn in for years. And the leather trousers went in the bin as well. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny how people are. But um, I mean, I like to think that, you know, I, I keep fit now. I'm probably fitter now than I ever was. And uh, I, I always mention Joe Wicks because he's been an absolute lifesaver during this lockdown. It was either going to go one way or t'other. And I decided to go down the Joe Wicks route. I love that. Tony Hadley up every morning doing Joe Wicks. It's amazing. <laughs> you should 
see me in my lycra. It's one night. I should. I should. Post a picture. Post a picture, Tony. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Tony Hadley, the 40th anniversary tour. It starts in Bexhill on the 1st of March. It goes right through to the end of May in Blackpool. And keep an eye out. You are playing lots of um, festivals over the summer as well, I presume. Yeah. Brilliant. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to get started. Myticket.co.uk. Tony Hadley, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to talk to you and good luck with it all. Yeah, thanks a lot, Graham. Thanks. Take care, mate. Cheers. Finally, show chef Martha Collison joins us in the studio to talk about what she's been cooking in the kitchen. Hello, Martha. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You? I'm also very well, but also a bit freaked out because uh, I came in this morning and, I, you know, they tell me what you're going to make. <laughs> and uh, I made this last night. No way. Yeah. I didn't use the eggs. I, I put falafels on top because it was my dinner. Oh, very but, nice. Uh, yeah, but isn't that weird? So tell us, well, first of all, how do you say it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm no expert, I have to say. Uh, I say it shakshuka, but I don't actually know if that's correct. <laughs> that's how it's yeah, so, written. Someone, someone was trying to tweet me or email me something how to say it. I think it's, it, yeah, it's like, shu, I think it's a, a, like a double O, so it's shakshuka. Oh, okay. Shakshuka. I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, look, that's maybe Maybe not how you say it, but uh, tell us what it is. You're doing a kind of a delicious breakfasty brunch version. Yeah, this absolutely is a perfect brunch because it's kind of, yeah, it's got the savoury elements that you want from a brunchy dish. It is essentially a spicy tomato-y sauce with lots of onions and peppers. And then you crack, you make little kind of dents in the mixture once you've cooked it and crack in your eggs and then pop it in the oven so they kind of poach in the liquid. Then you top it with feta cheese, herbs, a few little spices. It's a lovely kind of heartwarming brunch, um, which is a great cure for the night before. And it's, I mean, it's got a kick. You wouldn't want to give it to, you know, is it granny with a heart? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it needs a little bit of a warning. Um, the great thing about it is you can kind of add as much spice as you want. I've made mine using uh, Waitrose do this little shakshuka sauce uh, sachet, which is actually brilliant because it means the breakfast is even quicker. Um, I think it's a great brunch dish because I think people always expect a fry up or something kind of the same old. And it's nice to surprise people with something a little bit different. And you definitely want some good flatbreads or bits of toast to dunk in the sauce afterwards as well. And the shakshuka sauce you're talking about, is that a fridge one? Do you keep it in the fridge or can it live forever? I think it's a cupboard one. Lives oh, forever. Well, lives for six months or a year. No, see, that's really good. Year. No, yeah, no, because I think what's good about this is then you can have all these ingredients because you might have tomatoes and peppers and onions and, and, and uh, like eggs knocking around. Yeah. You have the sauce. And then suddenly, you know, if you're unexpected, an unexpected breakfast visitor, let's say, it's very impressive. Yeah. That you, yeah. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. A, it's kind of a Middle Eastern dish. Dish. So you can kind of, as you say, you put falafel on yours, you can do a little bit of chorizo if you want to make it a bit more meaty. It's kind of got all the options there. That is a good idea, yes. And the the flatbreads, again, you don't make you buy those. You, yeah. I have been a bit I have been a bit lazy today. I'm not sure if I'm living up to that chef. <laughs> show shopper. <laughs> yes. Show shopper, Martha Collison. I've been show shopping. <laughs> and I've got some lovely hand stretched flatbreads. <laughs> yeah, somebody touched them. Somebody's it's not hand Martha. Stretched. <laughs> <laughs> um, from the Waitrose Levantine table range. They're really delicious. They've got that lovely bit of char on them as well, so they look very fancy. And do the eggs cook all the way through or do they stay a bit soft in the middle? I guess it depends how long you leave it in the oven. Yes. It kind of depends what you prefer. I find the best way to get them kind of runny is actually to put a lid on the pan. So if you use a saucepan or a frying pan that has a lid on it, after you've kind of made your sauce, put the eggs in, put the lid on and they kind of poach in the steam. But if you're happy for them to be a little bit more crusty on the top and maybe a little bit more jammy in the middle, then pop them in the oven.
Mm. And I would say, see, in our range of, you know, from... Uh, <laughs> from, you know, opening a can to making a rainbow cake. I would say this is closer to the opening can. Like, this is... <laughs> it, well, you know what I mean? It looks really impressive. It looks like you've properly cooked something. But it's it's not that hard, is it? Yeah, it's perfect for breakfast and brunch because, let's be realistic, nobody really wants to get up at 5am and start making their own pan of chocolates. <laughs> Everyone who wants a lazy weekend breakfast wants exactly to be able to open the cupboard but still have something really fresh tasting. And with all the feta and the herbs, it kind of, yeah, it really elevates it more than just just a stool cupboard dish. Yeah, and that unexpected breakfast visitor will think you're a keeper. Absolutely. Because, yeah, <laughs> because you've managed to rustle up a simple shakshuka uh, with some eggs. It's gorgeous. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Chat to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.